Hey, what's up? Happy Friday. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Canucks, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Obliterate? Pulverize? Dismantle? Demolish? Yeah. Embarrass? <laughs> Whatever you want to say. 10-1! Check, checked on your goalie when he got hurt. Even while as the, the rest, rest of the of team, team just skates away, seem to care. Yeah, I mean it was ugly for the Sharks in San Jose, but it was a lot of fun in Vancouver. It sure was. You know, people say, "Oh, like a two-one game is really fun in hockey if it's you know hard fought and tightly." Yeah. You know, it's really fun to see a ten-one. <laughs> yeah, ten. But also, it wasn't just the ten-one. It was the way they were like stunting. Yeah, right. It was the it was the Pedersen catch on the lob pass on mm-hmm, the entry. Mm-hmm. It was Besser's bank pass to JT Miller. Like just incredible stuff. And and the shot. You know, everyone scores, and Quinn Hughes has the crooked scoreline with five points and leads the NHL in scoring um, among defensemen. And Pedersen has another big game, and on and on. Brock Besser came out and won that game. It's true. You know, like Brock Besser came out, the the Sharks take an early double minor. <laughs> it, it, it turns out it was guaranteed win night, and we yes. should have been a little more confident we about actually, that. We, eh? were, we, we spent so long talking about how bad the Sharks are yesterday, and we actually didn't do it enough. Like, yeah, we no, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't go in on them enough, it no. turned out. Well, but I mean, we were talking about them being historically bad um, before the season. Right, like, yes. like yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. a take that's aged well. Yep. Oh yes, has it ever <laughs> among the Pacific Division things that we had right? You know, the nailed the, that one. The the don't even put the ducks with the sharks. Yep. The sharks are a totally different brand of bad. That's I think at the very least the bottom of our tiers list was on point. Yep. Um. Now, <laughs> they they they're off to the worst start ever. There's never been an NHL team like this, and a lot of what we saw last night is about them. Mm-hmm. But also, a lot of it is about a team comes out, they they get a sliver of opportunity, and they just like Brock Besser front of the line, just like kicking the door down with two unbelievable plays, like just beautiful. Like that shot was phenomenal. That's like that's a guy who's feeling himself, yeah. confident as anything. And then and then he just like decides to make a Sedin bank pass to J T Miller with the beauty backhand finish. But that pass was, I mean. Does Besser have the confidence to even try that Probably last not. year? No chance. Probably not. No um, chance. I do want to talk a little bit about Brock Besser and the year he's having so far. But I just, you know, on that game, because we all love sports, we all love hockey, and part of what we love, right, is the drama and the intensity. But also, the like, there's one of the things I love about sports is there's so much to dig into and analyze, right? Right. That's not what that game was about at all. Sometimes the best thing about sports, like the word that kept coming to mind for me was spectacle. That was a spectacle sure. last night. Sometimes, to me, it's like the difference between 
a really like genuinely good, well-made, thought-provoking movie and like a really dumb blockbuster. Sometimes you just want to sit down and watch stuff blow up, right? And the Canucks blew up the Sharks last night. You're like, and I then, don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about what this means, the symbolism. <laughs> I just want to sit down and watch stuff blow up. Some cool stuff happened, and that that's what happened last night. I was I like, this is a spectacle. I haven't seen a shark blow up like that since the Adam West Batman movie. Have you seen the Adam West Batman movie? I haven't, actually. I've seen the series. I haven't seen the movie. So the very first incident, a shark, uh, or there's a boat that magically disappears, and then a shark bites Batman's leg, and Adam West Batman is, like, punching the shark in the face. <laughs> and then eventually they have to explode the shark, and that's, like, the very first scene of the film. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Nowhere to go but up after that. Highly, highly recommended. And then, and then obviously, the crime was devised as a as a dastardly union between the Joker, the Riddler, Catwoman, and, and the Penguin. And the scene afterwards where they're figuring it out, they're like sitting around Commissioner Gordon, Robin, Batman, and they're like, and it happened at C. C is for Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's their detective work. It's so Absolutely good. Absolutely Anyway, sorry. Yeah, Rich and Cloverdale says, hey guys, if this was a movie, this was Michael Bay all the way. That's exactly what it yeah. was. It's like, man, you want to see some truly wild stuff happen? <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> Slow motion, Brock Besser, hair <laughs> waving in the wind. Doesn't Walking even, away from Doesn't even look at the yeah. explosion. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, hey, look, those pyrotechnics were a ton of fun. And yeah. this team clearly has that gear to them offensively, right? Like, if you're not on your game against this team, they can make you look awful. And mm -hmm. they've done it, mm -hmm. right? They've done it. They've caught some teams sleeping, and they've just absolutely blown their doors off, which is why, you know, this team leads the NHL in goal differential, and some of that's deceptive given how much of it is contained to a two-game stretch in which, you know, 16 of those <laughs> that, that, of that positive goal differential was built. But, like, the ability to be given an inch and take a mile that's not the mark of a of a fortunate team necessarily like that's a good trait to have as a group well and what you know one of the things i said yesterday that i wanted to see like okay there's only so much you can learn against a team like the sharks but like go in and leave no doubt take care yeah. and, i mean <laughs> they passed that with flying colors well, they became goal night for the like exactly. antoine roussel would be proud by the way, um, yeah, no kidding, right? That was like the he laid it out perfectly what they were probably thinking, especially late in that game. By the in, way, in, in one of my gambling group chats, someone texted me and asked, "Should I bet on all of the Canucks' bottom six forwards to score when it was three nothing, like, and there was seven minutes left in the first? And I was like, I can't give gambling advice, but that's, but also yes, <laughs> but, but you should definitely do that. And they had a very good night. Um, by the way, just in terms of like the sheer amount of funny and weird moments and awesome moments for the Canucks, and I, I pointed this out on Twitter, but the one that really made me laugh was the Sharks DJ playing Welcome to the Jungle in the third period, like right before the face-off, and then moments later, Anthony Bovillier scores to make it 10-0. <laughs> it's like, yep, somebody's going to the jungle. Well, and the, the fan with the sign, this is my first Sharks oh. game, and it's 8 nothing. I loved I loved the A Cole tweet on that. And then the and then the fact that Rick Tockett probably had what, a seventy five percent chance of getting that goal I think taken he, off the board? I think he would have won. I think he would have won. I think too, he would have won. But like, also, I think it was goaltender interference. It's, and like But it's goaltender interference, which means and, and Demko was slightly out. Mm -hmm. You know, like he wasn't fully contained within the blue. It paint. definitely like first instinct when I saw the replay was that would come back. I agree with you, but I'm just saying there's at least some doubt, sure. right? 75% and 25% chance we're shaking our heads afterwards and tweeting like, does anyone know what this is? Yes. yes. Does anyone know the standard? So, but, but I mean, I, they could have taken that goal off the board. 100%. Quite <laughs> well, easily. Well, 75%. We yeah. just discussed well, that. Sorry. <laughs>
A hundred percent that it could have happened. You know what I mean? Anyway, I had a blast watching that game. Like, I just thought it was fun. Oh, and it was incredible. I, I almost regretted not being there live. Like, I, honestly, I was just like, this is hilarious. I mean, when, when was the last time they scored double digits? It was like in the 90s, correct? Yeah. Right? So it's West Coast Express never did it. Yeah. Sedin's never, never did it. it. Like, it, you do not get goal games like that a lot. And I don't think there's anything wrong in... Uh, in reveling in yeah, it a little bit, Enjoy a snow right? day again, when it comes. It's supposed to be an entertainment product. It's yeah. supposed to be, sometimes it's supposed to be a spectacle. Sometimes it's supposed to be, you're not supposed to be fretting about what's going to happen next or whatever. You're just supposed to be like in the moment enjoying it and being like, holy cow, these guys are scoring a bunch of goals. And I don't begrudge anyone for, uh, for enjoying it. I enjoyed it myself. But, but, oh boy. I was in a good mood today until I did Donnie and Dolly with our, with our crossover former friends. And I just have a bone to pick, and I want to do it with Rick Dollywall. All right. Because we go through a 15-minute hit. And, you know, I'm talking in these terms, because what am I going to do? Like, I thought the Canucks played awesome. Like, I enjoyed that game. I thought it was fun. So they're asking me these questions. I'm sort of answering them as honestly as I can. I still did my overheated percentages bit. And after I leave, after I leave the hit, Rick sort of says, you know, this guy was blasting the Canucks last year and now and now isn't. Like, as if I was supposed to come on after a 10-1 snow day win and be like, yeah, well, that one goal against, what brutal defensive coverage. Come on. Like, they played great. They put on a show. Good for them. That was fun. And then he talked about keeping receipts because of uh, my my take on Andre Kuzmenko and, and the Philip Hironic trade. As if the Philip Hironic trade was ever about the first 10 games that he'd play for the Canucks, right? Like, as if we haven't seen other defensemen come in whose acquisitions are widely regretted and, and play really strong hockey for their first 10 games. Including Oliver Ekman Larson, by the way. Tyler Myers. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Tyler Myers, month of October in 2019? Unbelievable. So, and look, I don't, I don't have a problem. Forecasting hockey accurately is tough. Right. And I try to do it as systematically and as honestly as I can. And I try to stick by my guns and my takes. You know, I'm not blasting the Canucks just because they're losing. Right. Like my, my take on the Canucks has tended to be bigger picture than that about their overall quality, about whether or not they have a path to getting good enough to win big, not to start the season hot, but to win big. Right. And after 10 games, you know, I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, hey, look, I probably was at least I'm trending toward concluding and it'll take me a while to get there that I was maybe you know three or four points low on their true talent level and I think if you're sort of seeing more than that you were either way off to begin with or you're getting way too far ahead of yourself right like they're definitely trending toward being better than I expected but I didn't go into this season with the sort of fade position I had in years past right like mm -hmm. we were talking about their over under we were talking about their playoff odds I was saying I like both I had sort of a hedge position. I was like, look, I could see this team being a playoff team. What I'm concerned about is the long term, which is neither here nor there. I'll own it. Like, if this team is elite, if this team, if we get to game 30 and this team's, you know, 52% control of expected goals with lights out special teams, killer goaltending, and like three of the top scorers a in the league. Major trophy candidates. Yeah, yeah. Dominating the plus minus uh, score in the early going, like they're the Heatley Alfredson Spezza line. Like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat some crow. And I'm gonna have no problem with it. But ten games, PDO of one oh eight, when most of my criticisms were about the long term health of the team, I'm not ready to do that yet. 
I don't think I should be ready to do that yet. I think I'd be being dishonest and pandering if I were to do it. But that's neither here nor there. I'm happy to have these conversations. I actually think these are interesting conversations, mm -hmm. right? What I don't like and what I'd never do is when you have a guest on your show, don't talk to them or bring up some criticism of them or their work or their takes to their face for 15 minutes and then dig the knife when they're gone and can't defend themselves. Like, I think that's cowardly. I think that's low. I expect better from Rick as a friend and a colleague. I expect better from him as a broadcaster. And it really bothered me. It really bothered me. Uh, it's going to be an interesting edition of the crossover next week. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to wait until it's done. And then I'm going to criticize Rick. I'm just kidding. I would never do that because that's classless. Classless nonsense Ooh. beneath me. All right, there you go. So the gauntlet has been thrown down. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how this feud develops. On uh, I'm calling it a feud now. I'm yeah, elevating you, you it to can. a feud. I'm level. I'm actually mad. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see how it develops. Appointment tune tuning in. Appointment listening for the crossover next week uh, when Rick Dollywall will join the show here. So to put the Dollywall aspect of this aside, right, and just focus on your point, because for me, there's it's very easy to both live in the moment and have fun with this and enjoy the start and enjoy the fact that what like three Canucks are in the top five of NHL scoring and Brock Besser is back it's easy to do that and really revel in it and also have questions about what happens next like I don't think those two things are mutually and I don't think you think they're mutually exclusive either no right? um but I do think it's an interesting discussion and like for me the question you know I I made the point yesterday is there a point where you have to lean into this and add to the team this year, or at least where it would make sense, where it would be a viable option to lean into it and add to the team this year? And I guess the question for me becomes, like, what has to happen over the next 20 games, over the next couple of months as we get into January, for that really to make sense? And one of the players I wanted to – and obviously, it's you know, ultimately, you're looking for the overall team level of play and and the results and the process and everything. But from an individual point of view, you know, we talked about him a little bit earlier as leading the way in the San Jose game. Brock Besser has obviously become, you know, starting with the four-goal game in the home opener against Edmonton, he's become a major part of this story. And when you think about Brock Besser's trajectory with the Canucks and in his NHL career, he was supposed to be a core player for this team. Not the best player on a championship team, right? I don't think anyone ever had him pigeonholed as that, even in his rookie year, where he's a Calder Trophy threat. But he was supposed to be a guy who could be one of your maybe three or four best forwards on a championship winning team and I think it's been a while since we've thought of him in that way right but if Brock Besser kind of re-emerges into that type of player or emerges finally if you want to say it that into that type of player like that's one of those things that I would be monitoring to see okay how real is this what kind of impact are you getting from him because all of a sudden you know the way I was kind of looking at this season coming in was you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes as your two best skaters I feel great about that I have questions about skaters three, four, five, six, seven, right? Are they of the quality to be real legitimate contenders? Well, if Brock Besser, who I wasn't even really putting in that conversation necessarily anymore, if all of a sudden he's playing a, a guy you look at and think, hey, he could be a, a top five skater on a championship team, like that's the kind of thing to me that all of a sudden it could change the calculus 
for the near future for this team. If Besser has, I don't even know what to call it, leveled up. You know what I mean? It's a weird, like, well, I would leveling say, up may be appropriate. I would say it depends on how you're looking at it. So I would say at five on five, he's more bounced back, right? His two-way form is back to where it's been for most of his career prior to last season when it when it, when it really fell off, you know? Um, but at five on four, I think you are seeing a new level, right? And that's where the shot comes from. That's where the goal comes from. Replacing Bo Horvat was not easy, right? Like, that was not going to be something that was going to be straightforward for this team to do on the power play in particular, where his work in the bumper spot was super elite and this team's most important single weapon mm. with the man advantage. And we haven't even noticed it. And that's a huge credit to Besser. His, yeah. his shot rate has spiked. Everything he's shooting, whether it's finding the back of the net or not, it's getting to the net, right? Like, his shot attempt rate is actually consistent with where it's been occasionally on the power play in the past, but like earlier in his career when he was on the, on the half wall, but he's moving around so much mm -hmm. and he's finding space so reliably there was even that everything's getting to the net. There was a play, I think it was one nothing, and he came like up almost all the way to the blue line to collect the puck and started like skating downhill and was clearly operating as a guy who could make a play from that. He was like kind of the third man up at the blue line and created all this space for himself. And, you know, the play, that particular play didn't develop into anything, although later on he he sets up the uh, the Miller goal with a beautiful assist. But just that kind of using him in a different way, him attacking the game in a different way. Like, I think you're right to say, would he even have the confidence to make that pass to Miller a year ago? And, it, uh, you know, I saw, I've seen other elements of that too, where it feels like because he got that confidence right away, like back right away in the home opener by scoring four goals, he's opening up new dimensions to his game. Or at least, and again, we've seen all of these elements before of Besser. Like we've seen him be, and a pretty sneaky good playmaker, right? We've seen him be a really good two-way forward. We've seen him be a guy who can go to the front of the net. It just feels like it's always kind of happened disconnected from other things, and I wonder if we're seeing kind of the most well-rounded, complete version of Brock Besser right now. Um, Maybe. I just, Again, I think we're more seeing a reversion of the mean at five-on-five, five, Yeah, and I think this added layer. I'm... I'm you know, I, I sort of went under the hood. We've got an article, Stockwatch, up mm. at The Athletic, who's trending up, who's trending down from the Canucks' red-hot top uh, first 10 games. And Besser was trending up, but when I actually went under the hood, the five-on-five -five stuff is actually pretty consistent with what he's done prior to last year. Right. So I, I think Besser's been developing as a playmaker, as a battle yep. winner, and then as a two-way piece sort of slowly under our noses. Uh, for the last few years, uh, uh, you know, as just like a complete player. I think he's been a complete player for longer than he's gotten credit for mm -hmm. it. And then I think he had a really tough season last year. Like, I think he took a really big step back last year. And when we look back on it, that season's going to be the outlier, right? Because this is not, I don't think this is a guy who wasn't a reliable two-way guy in the past. He was. This is just him, for me anyway, grafting the new power play opportunity that he's been given onto a five-on-five -five game that was sort of already developing and, and developing in an impressive way, just not in, not in a linear fashion. Yeah, and I, I also – I think the confidence is a big part of it, right? Because, again, this is a high-skill player. We don't – we haven't put him in that category necessarily. He's not a guy who's going to, like, dangle a defender out of their skates necessarily or score a lot of, like, solo effort, highlight real goals – but he has a, a just a across the board high level of skill, and I don't think we saw a lot of that on display last year. But there's obviously now the confidence to kind of embrace that part of his game a little bit. And again, you know, if you're like 
we're talking about this team coming into the season. Again, me and I think a lot of people were looking at it saying, okay, they still need a couple of impact players. Like, I'm at least open to considering now Brock Besser kind of stepping into that role, which we had, which I think a lot of people had written off as something him doing on this team. If that happens, okay, well, then it, maybe it's not just a fun 10 games, right? And I'm not willing to say that it has happened yet. I'm just looking for the things like, okay, if this is real in 30 games and you do want to take try to take another step forward right away, like, what does that look like? And I think Besser's play is one of those things that could be a really key indicator. If all of a sudden he's at that level where you feel like really good about him as a core player again. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it'd be cool to see as anything yeah, for I him mean, to have that kind of redemption arc with this franchise. I mean, I, I think the core player, like the, the way to view it for me anyway, wouldn't be that like, I wouldn't view it as, you know, f- that there's always going to be a material difference in my view anyway, between what Pedersen and Hughes and Demko can be hundred percent for your team <laughs> based on the premium positions they play. But can he be like the the best of the supporting pieces? You yeah. know, I I think he can. Could he be not like stylistically? He's a top but like, lineup player, but like, like Jonathan Marchesso for the Knights, right? right. He's not That's Mark. A good he's not Mark Stone. He's not Jack Eichel. He's not Alex Petrangelo. But he's a core player. Like he yeah. was a super he, important he player. Won for the them. Yeah, he won the Cons. Yeah, he won the Cons. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. level of player where well, they're I'm, not a superstar, but you really need them to win the Stanley no, Cup. That's the right way of looking at it. Top of the lineup winger. Right? Can he be a first line caliber yep. winger with two way value and some goal scoring pop? And yeah, you you need pieces like that. And if that's what he is, and he's getting this opportunity on the power play to actually produce at that level, right? Because you can have a first line impact like Barbashev style, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and not have the points to show for it because mm-hmm. you don't get the power play opportunities. Um, he's also full value for the deal. Yeah, like the deal he's on. You're not going to hear much 6.66 if Besser's a 35-point guy. 35 goals. and Sorry, 35-goal yeah. guy. And you 70 know, points. And and is like a key driver on Power Play 1. Like, honestly, I think a lot of of this new movement system that Rick Tockett has put in, I think a lot of the success of it, like a lot of that credit should go to Besser. I, I truly believe that. I mean, obviously, a, a lot should go to the three guys up high who, mm-hmm. who get the most puck touches and demand the most attention. But – and, and you know what? You're seeing it at 5-on-5, five five too. Like, one thing that I've really been impressed with uh, about Besser, not just the speed on the puck, right? Because that's when fans mostly notice it, sure. is when he's, like, skating on the rush. Like, d- is the defender gaining on him? or d- but it's, it's the speed that he's showing as F2, F3, right? And that speed in combination with his overall hockey IQ. Like, is he ever not ready to shoot it the moment Phil DiGiuseppe forces a turnover? No. Like, he's always ready, and he's always in space. And you have to skate really hard to get there. Like, that's one of the quiet areas where I think Besser having just a little bit more quickness, maybe an extra half step or quarter step, has paid dividends. He's just always open. It's unbelievable. And he's really smart at finding those open areas, yeah. too. Right? Uh, and and, and he, I think he always had that. I sure. think he's getting there sure. faster. Um, there's a reason why, when he signed this extension, that it seemed like a pretty decent bet or at least the best of some bad options, right? Because he has had this type of potential and, you know, now as of right now, and again, with all the caveats, 10 games, et cetera, et cetera, but uh, he is currently living up to that number right now, uh, which is really impressive. Uh, This question comes in, who's the more important player for the Canucks, Philip Peronik or Brock Besser? I mean, I would still say it's Peronik, not based on, I'm not saying he's been better than Besser this year or anything, but just in terms of more important because he's their second best defenseman where, you know, Brock Besser, at most, they need him to be their third best forward, right? After Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. 
But Philip Ronick, I mean, if he's not playing well, if he's not living up to the acquisition and the expectation and the role, then it's a completely, uh, it completely changes the makeup of the Canucks blue line and, uh, and what they're doing. Uh, Jay and New West says, I've always said Besser is our TJ Oshie. He just needs to add the physical element. That's an old, uh, kind of an old school comp for Besser. Like I, I, that was a popular one early in his career, TJ Oshie, but you haven't heard it necessarily a lot as he's struggled. But again, like really good top of the lineup player for a long time on winning teams. Former North Dakota uh, mm. Fighting Hawks, uh, although they called the team a different thing when Oshie played there. Um, right-handed, right? Skilled. Now, I think Besser's more of a distance bomber. Like, I think I'd yep. rather have Besser in a shooting accuracy competition, and I think I'd rather have TJ Oshie, obviously, if I'm uh, in a shootout. <laughs> <laughs> Seem to recall he's pretty good at that. Uh, they, yeah. they, they have a, a relationship, by the way. Like they are know each other through those sort of through North like Dakota, North Dakota yeah. alumni and, things. And like yeah. the North Dakota alumni network is like serious. Like Massive. most of most of those guys spend some time there in the summer. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the facilities world class. You you work out with some other pros. You work out with some of the like. There's you know it's like what's the equivalent in in Canada? Like you know how. People who went to Dalhousie have like an alumni network. Sure. It's the only school in Canada for whom that's true, right? I still get emails from like, for, oh, yeah, yeah. Universities. From your like, alumni delete. association. <laughs> yeah. No chance. <laughs> no, thank you. Could I will not, not pay be, me enough. Will not be participating in that. Uh, this text. There's always somebody says, Besser, let's sell high. See you, Brock. No. Come on. Come no, on. Well, because you're still talking about a winger with a big, with a big money deal. So that's not. But also, it's like, that's not the this team needs. This team needs impact top of the lineup players. Brock, if Brock Besser's playing like one, and you think it can last, you're opening up a hole there, right? And I don't For see, sure. unless it's like an even better defenseman or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think you ride this while Besser's doing it. You do need to clear up money on the wings. There is a world where I think it could make sense as something to consider, especially given where Besser's value has been, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But I don't think I don't think you do it. Uh, not not just is this guy an awesome fit, but close relationship, good chemistry with both. Mm. Both like he's got good chemistry with both of Vancouver's top two centermen. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's absolutely a world where you could scramble the Canucks lines and reunite Besser Patterson, and it would work. Yeah. In fact, I'd bet it would. Right. So yeah. I mean, there's ex- it, what what sort of additional value does a guy who has that sort of familiarity, that sort of relationship, and that sort of chemistry the role on the power play, with, right? Yeah, like, with both of your most Im- sort of important upfront five on five drivers. I, I, you know. Anyway, Canucks. One one last thing I want to talk about: Canucks PDO up to one hundred eight point four. By the way, somebody's texting in, and this question comes up periodically, and I'll let you yeah. answer because you probably have the better historical answer. But asking what PDO stands for, and of course, the answer is nothing. It's just a, a made-up acronym, right? What PDO stands for? But can you PDO explain stands for, for the nothing. listeners? Yeah, but like, what? Wh- explain what it is and why we call it PDO. There was a joke in an old R and D department that, like, has you know since been um, uh, demolished, where they started calling it percentage-driven outcomes. But uh, but frankly, it's named after an internet poster who designed this way of looking at things. It's a combination of save percentage and shooting percentage, right? So. Uh, in normal times, it should add up to roughly 100. Mm-hmm. Five on five percentages are relatively fixed. So, you know, you have an 8% shooting percentage, a, a 92% on a save percentage at five on five, 100. When it gets over 100, you look at it and, and 
for me anyway, I don't use it as like determinative beyond I use it to gut check my perceptions. Like a lot of the time I'll be like, man, every time I've watched this guy, he's killing it. And then I'll go check and it's like, okay, he's 105. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to wait a bit. Like I might be, the, my eyes might be lying to me and, and vice versa. Like whenever this market in particular seems to be like absolutely killing a guy. I, you know, I, I often go check their PDO over a stretch and it's like 94 <laughs> and it's like, okay, well they might not be playing as badly as it looks. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this is probably the emotional experience of watching them over large samples. Observably, we've seen this number regress to hundred, but not necessarily all the way to hundred. If your goaltending is, if your goaltending is really good and you, if you have, you can a guy get, like Elias Pettersson who yeah. has this really, really, and that helps a little, a bit little bit less but at like, the margins. But like, it is a thing at the margins where if a guy can bend the percentages like that, you know, it's yeah, not always but, going to be there. But it's one guy who plays like 15 minutes a yeah. night, five on five, versus a goalie where where you're and you're talking about a difference between like, can you have a sustainable difference between mm. a 915 and a 935 true talent? Well, that's two whole points. That's way bigger than right. Even even your most optimistic Pedersen outcome would be like point point five, right? But you can definitely have teams where you have Lundqvist or Shesterkin or Luongo when he was in Vancouver, and and it gives the team like a a 102 baseline instead of a 100. But when you're as high as 108, it's it's gut check time. It's like you you really have to be careful about concluding too much about a team or a player's quality when they're that overheated, and that's why it's such a focus for me right now. Canucks are playing well. This takes nothing away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you'd rather win a game against the San Jose Sharks like that that increases your PDO than the opposite, but... It's just something to keep in the in the back of your mind as context in evaluating this team. Yeah, especially when you're looking at the goal differential, even more from the record, right? Because so many of their goals have come, or so so much of that goal differential has come in those two uh, two blowouts. One of which was last night, and boy, was it funny and fun to watch. Um, lots to get into with the Canucks start right now, from an individual level, from a what they've done for their place in the standings, all of those. What should their next moves be? Is there a young Vancouver area product they should be looking at bringing home? We'll get into that. Hit us up with your text as well. Uh, 650-650. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber dot com uh tommy b trying to be the uh the fly in the ointment here he says the shots were 33 31 if you switched goalies would the sharks win no and listen i'm always <laughs> no down, like after the nashville game right it's you know rick talkett said hey yeah. that wasn't our brand of hockey we win but we got to clean all that things up you can't do that with that game last night like that, no. that the, the gulf in talent was so massive and it was so out of hand so early i read nothing 
into the underlying numbers, the stats, anything. Like the Canucks were throwing out Carson Soucy and and Pew Suter on the first power play unit at the end of the game. When they right? were like the the game bears no resemblance to both teams trying their hardest to win. It's basically preseason hockey, uh, all star game hockey, even worse. The uh, <laughs> like that was all star game level defense from the Sharks, but also the shots were, um, excuse me. 25 to 13 when the score yeah. was 8 nothing. So, yeah. I mean, the Canucks were completely dominant in every facet of the game. Uh I I don't know. I don't I don't look into anything beyond that. At some point you got to put it in cruise control and just keep stunting and yeah. your defensive performance or your two-way performance tells us nothing. And and that is one thing by the way that I do sort of believe about coming out of that game. Like the value of that game, okay? The value of that game in its twofold. Firstly, you're now seven two and one. Yep. Which is a heck of a lead, especially given what's happened to certainly Edmonton, mm-hmm. Calgary, Calgary to a lesser extent. Right? Mm-hmm. If you now chug along at a ninety-two point pace, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, which, you know, is in line with what I would have expected going into the season, right? Like I think they're fully capable of that, even if there's injuries, bad luck, all the stuff that can happen over over the course of a season. Ninety-two points, I think, is a very reasonable expectation. The Canucks will get to 95 points, and that's a point and a half clear of the historic playoff bar in the Pacific Division since they realigned the conferences. For Edmonton and Calgary to catch them, if they were to simply do that, they have to be at 103 and 101 point pace respectively, right? That's a high bar. Like, mm-hmm. Edmonton was a wagon last year, and they got to 109 points. Yep. Calgary, I mean, it's been two years. Like, we haven't seen them play sustained hockey at that clip since Matthew Kachuk left. So... I think that's a big ask. That's like a big honking ask for a Flames team that hasn't shown signs of life in like 18 months. So, you know, I I sort of react to that by saying the value of the win last night is it cements you as having had this wildly successful start and has spotted you a really big lead in the Pacific Division and in the Western Conference playoff race, as you pointed out last night on Twitter. Yeah, although I did get it wrong, actually, because Arizona... (laughs) Shouldn't have cited you. Arizona, (laughs) I said it was a six-point cushion. I didn't realize Arizona hadn't finished their game yet, so they got an extra point. Point. So So a five-point. Well, actually, they got two points, so they jumped over, so now it's a five-point cushion. Got it. uh, From the ninth-place team, which is the Seattle Kraken. Kraken have played one more game. So the Kraken are still an under... The ninth-place team in the West has an under 500 points percentage right now. But uh, I do think the Kraken are a bit of a sleeping giant. Like I, I'm still, I'm still holding my Kraken stock on Kraken Island, thinking that that's going to be at the very least a very annoying opponent. One the Canucks play twice this month. By yeah, the way. and those are big games. All no, of a sudden, right? Like if you're looking at just like I think it, those were big games. They are, the but but too. in terms of like you know, I'm holding citing the gap between or the gap is right now five points for you. That's not overwhelming, but it is in the area where it starts to get tough to overcome pretty quickly, especially if you pick up a couple of wins uh, over that team this month, right? And I think the big thing for me is just they've now put themselves in a place where, yeah, you basically have to play at a 91, 92-point pace the rest of the way, and you're likely going to make the playoffs. And that is just so achievable. And we've been having this discussion, like, when is it – when is it time to not book the playoffs? Because we all understand there's still a lot of things that can go wrong and not like, guarantee it or anything like that. But just start to talk about, like, that's the assumption. You know what I mean? And I do think at a certain point, and maybe it's now, we kind of have to start analyzing this as a playoff team. Like, analyzing it from the perspective of 
what are they going to do in the playoffs, right? Yeah, oh, how, yeah. how can they prepare themselves for the playoffs? How do they make sure they're in the best position going into the playoffs? Like, to me, that's almost – that's a more relevant conversation. Or if we're not there yet, it's really, really close. That's a more relevant conversation than will they make it. Oh, yeah. Because they're in such a strong position now after 10 games. Uh, Dom Lecision's model, we get to cite it positively now. There 80, you go. 82% playoff odds at this yep. point. I mean, that's up, what, 20 – 20 almost 30 points from like I think they entered the season at like 53 54 percent so I mean this is a team whose playoff probability has done nothing but climb like Sir Edmund Hillary quality climb from the Vancouver Canucks um oh and by the way they play the Sharks three more times before Christmas (laughs) right (laughs) which is rocket fuel unreal rocket fuel start how about this one how about this one Dom's model has the Canucks projected currently as 58% likely to finish in the top three of the Pacific Division. So not a wild card team. Yep. Right? Like, I mean, if you keep this going through the course of this month, we probably get to a point where we're, like, talking about sizing up the LA Kings for, like, months on end because that's the way the NHL playoff format works now is where if you have some stratification between third and fourth in your division – it's like you're you're locked in for the entire year on your first round playoff opponent, and then uh, both teams make like moves and counter moves. Like we added Luke Shen, we added Tanner Janot last year between the Maple Leafs and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Here's the other thing that matters, okay? I think a lot from a ten nothing win or ten, 10 one ten well spiritually ten nothing. So, so hold on, we have got a couple people text in. Okay. Should Rick Tockett have challenged? No, I don't think so. Obviously not. I don't think so. Even like I get the Demko wants the shutout thing, but whatever. Look, just coach, let the, let the game end. Look, I'm not playing one of Coach Jigsaw's games. Okay, guy can't put a foot out of place. You know, just like if Rick Tockett didn't think you should challenge, you don't think you challenge. Now that's true. If Rick Tockett was, I'm trying to think of like just ridiculous advice, like told me to start buying the extended warranty at Best Buy. I'd be like, hmm, maybe he's onto something here. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. There's yeah. There's... I'd have to at least reconsider. The only appropriate response to Rick Tockett right now if he tells you to jump is how high. Yeah. Straight up. Anyway, the other thing that really matters, I think, is getting off to, like, if the Canucks had petered along at, like, a 90-point pace for 30 games and then put together a 10-game stretch like this in February, right? It'd still be fun, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't mean as much, Mm -hmm. right? It wouldn't, especially because... I do think there's been like the slow drip of apathy beginning to flood this market as it regards to this team. Now, not not the hardcores, not the people who live and breathe hockey, and there's a lot of them in Vancouver. But but I'm talking about you know your casual fr- fa- fan. I'm talking about like passing the mom test where your mom's like, "Hey, are the Canucks actually good?" <laughs> yeah. You know, like getting to that point and getting off to the sort of start that the Canucks have. Like, not all streaks are created equal. Getting off to a streak at the start of the year cementing your playoff spot, capturing the attention of the market, and then putting a massive, like, in bold exclamation mark on that with a 10-1 victory, a historic Mm -hmm. victory over the San Jose Sharks. Like, that's exciting. That's exciting. And that matters. Like, this is an entertainment product, right? This is live sports entertainment. And I think this team's now cresting at this point where, you know, if you can get it done against Dallas – 
Even no if you, even if you lose, but lose in a gamely fashion, good, a good hard game against right? a really good team, and then right? you really pummel the Oilers' playoff hopes, or or again put them to the ropes, get a split, you know, increase your lead, whatever. I mean, and then you go east, and then you go east. Like this team now has a chance to really put itself on the map as as something fun, mm-hmm. as something people are bought into. Beyond beyond the usual hardcores who are bought into this team, whether they're at the bottom or the top of the standings, I mean, that matters. Like, that matters, and I think the Canucks put themselves in really good position to, like, just just from a self-storytelling perspective, with with a, a real statement victory, mm-hmm. like the, the rare statement victory over the San Jose Sharks, the Canucks somehow pulled that off. Yeah. Well, and especially if you do get to January, for example, and you are comfortably... In a playoff position, right? Not that I don't know if this team will be in a position to completely like hit cruise control and just coast for the rest of the way, but you create a situation where fans have so much reason to get invested and not every loss will feel like the sky is falling, but there'll also be this extra investment because you are thinking ahead to the playoffs and you are thinking about, okay, what does this mean? Not just for a game next week, but what does this mean for the potential teams we could match up for in the playoffs? And it has this self-sustaining way of generating interest. There's always something to look forward to. You know, Austin and Langley texted in earlier. It's such a weird feeling to actually look forward to games. I saw someone driving around the other day with a car flag. It's insane. We get to make fun of other teams and not just ourselves. He says, haha, Oilers and Calgary, the end must be near. And that is a good, a great part of this subplot as well, right? That Edmonton and Calgary are both uh, completely stubbing their toes or worse out of the gate uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's maybe a little early for this, but you know, you look at that stars game tomorrow at home, Saturday night, a team that was in the Western conference finals last year off to a really, really good start. And somebody made a joke about, Uh, Oh, like, hey, meaningful games in November. Let's go. But if the Canucks keep playing well and they keep being in the top three in the Pacific, yeah, we're going to get these games in the regular season against other contenders that have a lot of extra weight, that feel like legitimate measuring stick games, not because you're desperately trying to keep your playoff hopes alive, but because you're trying to show something. You're trying to prove yourself against a contender. And again, I'm I'm not saying that's tomorrow night's game. But that's something that could happen. That's, that's that's another thing to look forward to, another piece of entertainment that the Canucks have least uh, made possible with their good start and could could deliver for us if, if they keep it going. Yeah, I, for sure. And look, that's it needs to be fun. It at least mm-hmm. needs to be fun if you're going all in like this. Like and and you know, maybe not all the way in, in that the Canucks haven't traded like their own first round picks, right? They still managed to bring in Volander and, and LeCaramacchi into their system over the last two years. But a lot of chips have been placed in the middle of the table for the benefit of this season. And that's been consistent. Like that's been consistently how this club's operated for the last five years. And, you know, this is the second time in that five years that it's at least been modestly worth it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I think that's the other big question here is, this team has, I think, shown us enough that you should be pretty confident that they're a playoff team, just on just on playoff probability. I think they've shown enough that we can begin to put them on like watch to tick up their true talent level. But I do think that next step is still the hardest one to take, right? That next step of be going from being like a team that we maybe believe is the from good to great. Isn't that the easiest way to sum it up? It is, but I would I still think. 
like if we define good as the teams between seven and twelve, I still think there's question marks. Sure, before we sure before we consider the Canucks the way we consider the Dallas Stars and the New York Rangers, right? I mean, I still think there's more to prove. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I I I was trying to you know from fifteenth into that top seven is like the steepest climb, right? Like that's the hardest part to pull off. I think the thing for me, and again, to touch on our conversation from yesterday, is do you start to get into a place, though, where you it at least becomes plausible that there's a couple of moves, you're a couple of moves away from that, right? That you're one or two impact players away, and does it become more of a conversation to start looking at who's available? How can we make that happen? How ambitious can we be leaning into this? Because, you know, you use the word, uh, like, everything's cresting right now for the Canucks and that is kind of how it feels and I look at you know it's not just Pedersen and Hughes although obviously they're both on pace for career seasons they're completely dominating Hughes in particular has taken this step forward and you know five points last night just crushing the field in terms of defenseman scoring but I think since Pedersen and Hughes have been here we've really been waiting for everything to crest together and click at the same time right like they've had great moments together but there's always been something else going wrong and and for me right now it's not only that they they are playing some of their career best hockey if not their career best hockey but the other things are kind of cresting around them as well and I do think there's a case to be made for kind of striking while the iron is hot if this is a season where everything is where they're at the peak of their powers and you're getting consistently excellent play from Hronick, from Miller from Besser do you lean into that do you take an extra swing because things are cresting uh, around them right now. Um, Bill and Pitt Meadows says, boys, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Playoffs, what will we do? No. What do we need to do to keep at a 750 or better pace? Well, that's going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll fade that. <laughs> yeah. He says, I've been a fan since I was nine and seen everything Canucks possible. That's Bill and Pitt Meadows. Again, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs. No. It's just, unless they have a steep fall at some point really soon here, it's the more interesting conversation. Well, it can happen late too. Yeah, it can have, but you what you but what like you, until that happens. Yeah, what you can afford, the conversation is the playoffs. It's not will they make it. It doesn't matter when it happens. If you have one of those ten game stretches like Calgary and Edmonton have had, where you pick up four or five points in ten games, that kills you. Right, like mm. your bad stretches need to be like seven points, eight points in ten. That's that. It, it's those. It's those long streaks. Of bad, and th- they can happen at the end of the season, like we saw with the um, Jonathan Bernier injured Leafs, right? The Phil Kessel Leafs uh, that sort of ended the the Nonis' Nona- tenure there. So, I mean, it doesn't matter when it happens. The Canucks have to yeah. have a high enough baseline that when the injuries hit and the bad luck comes and, you know, you're trailing 3-2 and you hit the post twice in the third, right? Like when those results inevitably pile up, they still manage to grind out enough overtime wins and enough, you know, blowout victories against the sharks <laughs> that they that they can stomach those punches cuz those punches will come but to me it's not getting ahead of ourselves to recognize that this team has done enough early and has enough true talent whether you think the bounces have been overwhelmingly favorable for them or whether you think there's a, a, a level of un, unsustainability here as you were saying they really only need to play at like a t- a tick above 500 here at a 91 92 point pace to make the playoffs so to me it's not getting ahead of ourselves as much as it is acknowledging what they've accomplished so far and acknowledging that there is that baseline level of talent where yeah like I I think if you're still solely focused on the can this team do enough to make the playoffs like 
I don't think that's giving them enough credit for what they've done and for how good they are. And I don't mean how good they are in terms of being like a 105 or 110 point team or anything, but I mean in terms of being a team that's more than capable of going, you know, for 92 or 93 point pace and and making it into the playoffs. I think it's just kind of acknowledging what we've seen that that's going to start to be more of the conversation. I don't think it's like putting undue pressure on them or anything like no. that. It's just this is what comes with the territory. You get off to a really good start, people start talking about the playoffs. People start letting their mind wander. And, you know, we're, we're still a long way from that. I get it. I, I understand that. But it's not it's not a bad thing. It's it's just a recognition of, uh, of what they've done. And uh, Nelson and Colonna says, I feel like this success will hurt our future more. We might have a trade deadline scare. I don't know. Uh, look, that's possible. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's absolutely, if not in the cards, that's absolutely something to be mindful of. I definitely was uh, was clicking around cap friendly and trying to cook up cook up some blockbuster trades. Did for, you beat for the Did Canucks. you beat my Seth Jones acquisition? No. Well, maybe. What would you think about the package, uh, the Travis package from Philadelphia? So Con- Konechny and, and Sanheim. Oh, that Sanheim deal, man. And he's not a righty. Brings, he's not a righty. So you'd have to talk to Rick Tockett about it. Yeah, no, I don't like it. No, out. What if he was a righty? I think you'd have to consider it. But but I still hate it. I just really like. <laughs> I just really like Konechny. Yeah, you know, like I think Konechny is sick. I'm just looking at like impact or whatever you want to say but like impact players top of the lineup type players on teams that might be willing to deal we all know philly would be willing to deal yeah although the they're, they're, they've started hot yeah but well, and and that's and so that's the one other thing to, that's worth unpacking really quickly here right is 10 games is important vital and tells you a lot but we also live in a world where the ducks and the montreal Canadiens mm-hmm. have 12 points in 50 in their first 10 games Three points back of, of where the Canucks are. Um, we also live in a world where the Oilers have five, right? Like, do you think the Oilers finish behind either, either Anaheim or Montreal no. at season's end? No. Right? So things will change. This is still a long season. It is early, but the Canucks have made it late quickly with the sort of start that they're on, which is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um People are as now texting in. Uh, can we cook up some Rasmus Anderson deals? Oh, I that would, mean, I, I, I <laughs> like you talk about perfect fits. That guy's like my favorite guy. It's yeah. not happening. It would be literally a perfect fit for for this team, and the contract is amazing and everything. But the price would be through the roof. And Calgary's going to deal their UFAs, not guys that they have under. Yeah, un, under well, contract. And he's like one of the few guys they have under the age of twenty seven, right? Yeah. Like in terms of impact, guys. No, look, addressing the right side of the defense is going to be hard, but luckily Mark Friedman continuing to play really well. Mm-hmm. He was he was excellent again last night, picked up his first point uh, as a member of the team. Um, p- keep sending in your uh, your dream deals. What's or Tom what, Wilson's what? contract yeah. look like? Oh, don't check. I don't check. like it. Don't check. I don't like it. It's a horror movie. Um, but, you know, I think part of the reason, part of the, the reason I was uh, doing the – the clicking around cap friendly and looking for the players that they could pick up is, you know, I'm, I'm leaning into this, as I said. And I don't just mean from a going out and adding to it, but I'm enjoying the moment. I'm letting my mind wander. I'm letting my mind consider the possibilities, Drance. And I encourage our listeners to do the same. Dream up some trades, some impact trades for the Vancouver Canucks. What do you want to see them do? And you can hit us up in the inbox, 650 six. 50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we can get to some of those on the other side. Anything else on your mind about the Canucks after a 10-1 demolition 
of the San Jose Sharks last night. Final hour of the show coming up. Dimitri's going to join us, of course, at uh, at 1.30 to wrap up the week. But one more segment before that here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Diss track here? No, I'm good. I don't go back to back. That's uh, L'Esprit Escalier. I'm not into that. All right. I feel like I said what I needed to say the first time. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here on a Friday afternoon. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D L E A M C. Dot com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And I, uh, I asked our listeners to let their minds wander, let themselves dream. Their Canucks daydream we're 7-2-1 and one after 10 games. Trades. What happens next? What do you want to see them do? What do you want to see the Canucks go out and add? And I had uh, I had one name in mind. If it doesn't necessarily fit the prototype of what we're talking about here, which is an established top-of-the-lineup player come in, make an immediate impact for you, probably a little bit older, you know, in that maybe in that 27-30 to 30 range. Uh, but there's another name, again, that doesn't fit that profile, and somebody texted in, and I'm not going to endorse this specific package necessarily. We can talk through what it would look like. But somebody texts in Garland, Lakaramaki, and Pod Colson to Columbus for Kent Johnson. And of course, Kent Johnson, Port Moody's own, fifth overall pick in 2021, 40 points as a 20 year old last year, has now been scratched a couple of times, benched last night, and today sent down. To the AHL. Yeah. He also a, changed agents. He did. In he had, there. He had a tough giveaway. Um, led to a quality chance for the Lightning, and, and he didn't play the rest of the game. Um, he was scratched the first game of the year. Clearly something going on there. Uh, and and oh, as we learned earlier with Connor Garland, right? Never a good sign when a player changes agents uh, in terms of their happiness uh, midseason. So, hey, look. I think that's a target you open the open the vault for. Because that's Go one. Go do it. That's one though that doesn't help you make the playoffs this year, maybe. No. If unless you think the Columbus Blue Jackets and Pascal Vincent are just way off on his utility for this season, that's more of a raise your like. Can Kent Johnson help you weather some really tough decisions that this organization is going to face because of the logic of the OEL buyout plus Pedersen's expiring plus Heronics expiring plus the chance that JT Miller's deal gets less efficient as he ages. That that not the chance, the probability that. Um, for me, that's the sort of long-term thinking deal that I'd love to see this organization still try to do, despite how all-in on the short term there. He's an awesome player. I think he's going to be an awesome player. He's, I, I, yeah, he's amazing. Go get it done. Go <laughs> get it done. If the, he's available, let's go. The the best pieces to try and add, right, are the like the reverse Tyler Sagan, right? Like you mm. want to try and find your Tyler Sagan deal, 
right? The, the distressed young player. The distressed like, elite, high pedigree For whatever guy. reason, there's friction with the organization. He wants out. They're not crazy about him. Like that Swoop in. Swoop that, in. The, the Predators with Ryan Johansson right before they went to the um, cup final. I mean, on and on down the list, there's so many examples. But that's like, that's rocket fuel for this team. If you could add a guy and then he can level up and become that elite player that the team hasn't been able to get at the draft, frankly, since they selected Pedersen, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they've tended to finish the season too strong for no reason. <laughs> uh, somebody, well, somebody else texted in, uh, fellas, this trade talk is giving me anxiety. Please, no picks being traded away. Don't, don't worry about the downside right now. Don't focus on that. That's not what we're talking about. We're having the fun part of the conversation. Don't worry about the bill coming due. Just put it on that credit card right now and have some fun. Enjoy the moment uh, right now. Somebody else, Steve from White Rock, texts in, give me Patrick bleeping Kane. I don't know, man. I uh, Beyond any of the like character stuff and you know the Blackhawks and all that, he looked pretty washed uh, for the Rangers, I thought, last year in the playoffs. Now, I know there's the injury, and he's rehabbing from that, and there's going to be interest in him. But I don't know if a guy who probably profiles as like power play specialist, you need to insulate him if we're in a two-way role. That's that's not what the Canucks need right now. There are teams, I think, where he could be a huge difference maker. I just don't know that this team's that one. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't add size. Like that would be that's the thing. Those would be the two things that I'd say if you were able to go and get, you know, might be worth doing. Like the guy has to be young. Has to be young. And ideally cost controlled for like longer than Philip Peronic is, for example, right? Like I you can't add to the tough decisions that are gonna face this team yeah. beyond this People season. People are texting in um, you know, like Elias Lindholm, an amazing player, but he's pending UFA. Yeah, and he's, he's going to UFA. And he's gonna and he's gonna cost and an arm and a leg. He's going to be an incredibly expensive rental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, one well, and cost an arm and a leg on his next deal. Now I realize I was just telling people don't worry about the downside. So I guess from that perspective Yeah, you're having your cake. Maybe I'm maybe too. I'm being a hypocrite, but I, I mean, if you can get a young guy with size who profiles to be a top six forward, whether whether they are now or, or not, like, you know, a center version of Vasily Podkolzin, but maybe a little bit more NHL ready, that's the sort of thing that I think you could justify emptying the bank, um, mm. emptying the vault a little bit, or, you know, a, a real right-handed defenseman, and I, ideally a young guy. I mean, I, I could see it. Again, I, I don't think this team should be parting with futures because I think the next few years are going to be really challenging to keep building on. Like, first of all, it's going to be challenging to keep building on what they've done in the first 10 games, especially as the, the percentages normalize. But then, then, you know, like the criticism of the deals to build this team were not about this season, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Susie, Cole, Suter, Bluger, Hironic. The Kuzmenko deal, like, none of these players were being – none of these moves were criticized because the players weren't good. You know? Like, it wasn't – that's the wrong guy. It was, does that make sense with how this team's positioned long-term? Right? That's that's the key part. I think that's still going to be the key part here. I don't think this club should be pushing more chips into the middle, especially when you look around the West and see teams with clearer routes – toward improving from here than the Canucks, especially Anaheim, especially Arizona, right? Like the team needs to be mindful of their rearview mirror too. You know, you, you got a shoulder check before he changed lanes effectively. I just think again, and uh, you know, not to rehash what I was saying yesterday, but like 
if this is going to be the best combined season of Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes's career, and you're getting elite play from JT Miller, I'm at least looking at pushing more chips uh, into the table. Now, I agree with you. If you do it for like 24-year-old impact player that has a little bit of cost control, right? And it's not just a this year move. That's the ideal scenario. I do think the other part of it is, okay, if you're not willing to part with a huge haul in futures, which is very fair. You know, I brought up the uh, the Konechny Sanheim package, right? and one of the thoughts there is that Sanheim contract is big time negative value. So maybe it brings you a player that can help you in the lineup, and you don't have to pay in futures right now because you're paying in cap space down the road. And Philly's really motivated uh, to get out from that contract. And so an Allen Calgary similar thought here says Weger train all aboard Woot. Woot, of course, Menzi Weger kind of lost in the shuffle there in Calgary, I think, with all the focus on the Huberto extension after that deal. But they they locked him up. I think it's only $6.5 million, a $6.25 million a season. Now he's already 29. He's got a no trade, so there's complications there. But again, like, I'm at least thinking about something like that, bringing in a guy that I still regard really highly whose value is depressed because of their contract. Not easy. Not easy to do with the Canucks contract situation coming up, but like, you know, you suggested the Seth Jones one last week, right? The spooky trade proposal. That's a guy who's probably available for not that much because of his contract. That's the other market I would be shopping in. Somewhat distressed assets, but players who can still help you. And so the cost comes down because there's negative value on the deal. Yeah, I mean, Uyghur's really good and still young enough, right? He's 29. So you don't love that. You don't love that. But, but yeah. But it all it all goes to bring the cost down, right? I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Mackenzie Weger and it's as, like as a six, person and a player. Six point two five. It's that's yeah. that's not onerous for a for, for a top four defenseman. Oh man, uh, that that would be a tough one. Uh, that that's like you found I think the sweet spot where it's like oh like tempting but painful. But that's like you you're. That's the kind of deal where you're like you're doing due diligence and talking about it and like okay what's the cost what's it going to be how does it he's he's a left a natural left shot right but no he natural oh he's right. a natural right shot he's a righty okay. he's a righty so but there you he, go but he might be better on his left side right but he plays both sides yeah but still he's a right shot so Rick Tockett likes that like that's that's a pretty interesting I, one I, I think I'd lean no I think I'd lean no he's really good but I, I don't know that that is this. That's the sort of one, though, you've found, like, the sweet spot where it's like, oh, man, that's tempting. But I, I think the risk is too great. Yeah. There is a lot of risk there. Yeah. There is a lot of risk there. But, but for me, and it comes down to no trade clause. No trade clause is, like, is a massive uh, a massive complication. Um, I feel like the team that should do that is Ottawa. That's an interesting one. He's from the Valley. Like, he's a local kid. Yeah. And, um, like, that's the sort of that's the sort of finishing piece that I think would really give them some nitrous in terms of the puck moving ability of their defense core, which is, you know, as good as Sanderson's been still, still such a big issue to me. That's like something I, I think, I don't know. I don't think that's the, I think that's too big a swing at this moment for the team. I think you got to be really careful about adding more term and, and those sorts of commitments, right? Especially with, what they this organization is going to be staring at with Hirona. Well, and I was, and I was just going to say, we've, we've talked about it from a Patterson point of view, right? That, uh, the price is going up. And if he has this type of season or even anything close to this type of production for the rest of the year, his leverage is just off the charts. Let's not lose sight of the fact that Philip Ronick is a point per game player and logging massive minutes, uh, and having fantastic results with Quinn Hughes. And the longer that continues, 
he's going to have an incredibly strong, uh, an incredibly strong arbitration case as well. Tambir says Rasmus Anderson is better than Uyghur. No, sure. But again, I don't think like we're talking about if you're trying to avoid and younger, if you're trying to avoid a massive acquisition cost, right? Like to make it feasible where the other team is will, not going to charge you an arm and a leg, the, the age and the contract status of Mackenzie Uyghur is what facilitates that. I, I still think, I still think if you're targeting a flames defenseman, Tanev Zadorov, most affordable to, to acquire, expiring at the end of the year so you have time to figure it out Mm -hmm. tanev has that extra like trevor linden return narrative heft i mean a lot so many people have texted in chris tanev as they should which is tanev which is probably the correct it is the correct answer (laughs) the the correct answer to this give the boost doesn't cost too much short term all of that i I, know i actually probably would cost quite a bit because he's still really good but short term and presumably like that's the template of player teams love to add at the deadline like exceptionally well respected mm. defensive defender <laughs> who's right-handed. Yeah, that's not a that's not an easy that's not an easy one to acquire. Uh here's a a blast from the past. Kevin and Comox says number one target has to be Braden Schneider in New York, boys. They have no young forwards in the system, too many D to sign. Give them a young forward and a pick. Six foot three prairie boy. Let's go. That's from Kevin in Comox. I'm here for the Braden Schneider dream, but man, that is not a piece that's going to move easily. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question would be, how does he fit? It's like a a crowded blue line situation there. It is. With Fox and Truba. Now, Miller, they got on a short-term bridge, but they'll have to pay him in a couple of years. And you've got... Do you have room for another potentially big contract in Braden Schneider? When you've got Lindgren expiring, right? And that's going to be a tough one because he's really good, but he's also often hurt. Mm. You know, like he's one of those guys who almost is like too tough. (laughs) <laughs> for his frame you're like hey just settle. calm down a little I'm bit i'm serious buddy. i watch the rangers and think that a lot i'm just yeah. like oh man you got to save yourself Take for it the easy. playoffs because he's so tough and i love his like i honestly mean this as praise like he plays that style of game you just love to see on defense but mm. it's hard to hold up you know as a as a guy with his dimensions playing as as tough as he plays at six foot 190 pounds um which again i th- i love it <laughs> I love it so much. He's so good. But yeah, I, so the, you know, they've got some tough decisions to navigate on the blue line. I look, I don't think Brian Schneider's going to shake loose. Yeah. That that's know. especially cuz that guy has skill. It's not 6 foot 3 prairie boy. No, and not much else to like, it. Like he can he move can the, carry puck. the puck. He's yeah. authoritative with it. Like he's He's a good player, man. He's a really good player. And that's the tier where you're getting into, like, okay, you really have to start adding up what would the cost be. And you're talking at first, you're probably talking like a LeCaramacchi or something for that type of player uh, as well. So you're really using a lot of your bullets. And I guess, you know, this conversation really comes down to, like, do you prefer to use your futures in this deal or do you prefer to use your future cap space in a deal like Uyghur or something like that where you're not paying uh, as much and uh, you know uh, there's there's pros and cons uh to brof approaches it would be incredible if they got a 23 year old type player like that like Braden schneider um 22 actually excuse me but uh, yeah it's really really hard to do somebody text in but being a prairie boy is also crucial that's a fact hey look good western canadian kid i know I, the, the enforcer factory of western can it's like come on whatever like that that part is cool but you know what's really cool is just Brain Schneider's really good. Brain Schneider would be really, uh, really good. Oh, man, there's so many coming in here. Uh, People love trade ideas. It's, it's fantastic. Wild. And, you, I, like, the reason I wanted to do this is because we're actually talking about adding to the team. Sure. 
It's great. It's uh, fun. I, I still, though, think you have to add with extraordinary caution. You do. You know, there's this is one, too, where it's like. Until the percentage is normalized, you do need to wait. Like, I wouldn't make any major decisions with 108 PDO. That is how mistakes nope. get made in this league. No. And I I do want to be clear. Like, these are January conversations for me. That That's when you really have to start being serious about what you have and what kind of opportunity is in front of you, right? It's one thing if there's an opportunity to have a really entertaining playoff series for your home fans. And I don't like, I don't want to mean to downplay that. That's incredible. That would be an incredible outcome to this year, given how long it's been since fans at Rogers arena have gotten to watch a playoff series. But you, at a certain point, you're going to have to like internally distinguish. Is that what we're aiming to do? Make the playoffs and reward our fans with a fun playoff series or do we actually think we have a chance well, we, to go deeper? But we know what this team's going to do. I mean, they're going <laughs> to make a short-term move. That's the Canucks MO. Death taxes and the Canucks making a move to reward their fans and players no, by no, no, trying no. to make the playoffs. Let's... But like, but but if they're in a position to comfortably be in the playoffs come January, oh, do yeah. you still have to make that short-term move, right? Or are you saying, like, well, we can make the playoffs without it? I mean, and I, that's where the conversation becomes, is it I just about making the playoffs? Or do you legitimately believe you can win a couple of rounds? That, and I think that, that becomes a real conversation I, in January when we know a lot more. I mean, they... They'll bet on it. They'll bet on it. You know, like, that's, again, this is the Rutherfordian, Rutherfordian MO where, you know, I don't remember. I'd have to go look at the 2006 uh, Stanley Cup playoff bracket when the Carolina Hurricanes won in 06. But I think it was the Penguins or the Senators. The Senators, yeah, they were a 113-point team. They were the only team that finished with more points in the East than the Carolina Hurricanes, and they went out to Buffalo in four. Or five, excuse me. So they they caught a rut in the second round, and and Carolina advanced without ever facing, um, the, you know, the other top team. Mm-hmm. And then most importantly, that, that was a year that Detroit, a 124-point juggernaut, was defeated in the playoffs as well um, by Colorado. Right by like mm-hmm. sort of the the you know one of those um, the remnants of the of the last great Colorado team, so Carolina ends up you know they beat Montreal in the first, they um, beat New Jersey in the second, and then they're facing the fourth best team in the East, and then they win the Cup, beating the eighth highest seed team in the West. Right, that's the bet. That's the bet. Right, like. Hey, whether or not we can beat Vegas, for example, in the playoffs, they might not beat Seattle, mm-hmm. right? You never know. And and I, you know, if this team's if this team rolls for another six weeks, like I'll be zero percent surprised to see Rutherford be a, a Rutherford team, be aggressive, and try and add and and not just try and add a guy, but try and add someone that the organization sees as a star to to give them a puncher's chance come playoff time. Like I I I don't think it's a faint or a line or or an example of pandering like i i believe that they think that anything can happen if they make it there and if they're positioned to make it there i wouldn't be stunned at all to see them follow that logic to a you know it's it's most rational conclusion uh lucas from maple ridge says january is important also because at that point you know where you stand in the division the conference and the league uh, playoff contention is one thing positioning is another yeah you just in general have way more 
certainty about your team, about the lay of the land, who might be selling, all of those things, who might be available. There's a reason that there's not a lot of activity uh, at this time of the calendar typically in the NHL. Somebody else texts in, what about a trade to acquire Brett Pesci, right shot defenseman from Carolina who's a pending UFA? And, you know, I don't think you would normally look at Carolina as a team that would be willing to deal a defender of that caliber in season because they're really good and they they want to win the Stanley Cup this year, and that would be subtracting from their team. But we also know that Carolina does things a little bit differently. I like Brett Pesci as a player a lot. He's a pending UFA, and that's that's a really tough one for me to get around. As much as I'm saying make it count this year, lean into it, if the opportunity is there, go for it. You would just love to have the security of a little bit of cost control beyond this year. Like, as good as Brett Pesci is and as much as he could help this team be a really good fit, well, you're pending looking, UFA is tough. Staring down the barrel of Pesci, a Heronic uh, raise, yep. and a Pedersen raise is tough. Like, how do you keep, you know, um, at some point you need to make some tough decisions. If you are if you were able to free up some money, right, like if part of that deal is, you know, you're also finding a way out of Garland, Garland or what or, have you. Yep. Um, you know, then that's one thing, but it's tough. Like it, you are limited in what space you have, and there are still some things that this club will be navigating, mm -hmm. right? In terms of inefficient money on the books or buyout know, costs, buyout costs uh, that you know are going to be cumbersome, are going to limit how quickly this team can improve. Um, another one, pipe dream, but let's go make a splash for Bowen Byram. Love Bowen Byram. Why would the Avs do that? No, they're they going to win the cup, they or they're, they're they're not that they're going to win the cup, but they're they're they're, they're in the business of trying to win the they're, cup. They're they're legitimate, no doubt about it. Stanley Cup contenders. Yeah, they're not they're not parting ways with him. Any defense trade that happens in Colorado, which I don't think is a ridiculous idea, but one you're probably looking at Samuel Gerrard as the guy, and you're also looking at a an off season move. And in, even in then, Colorado. I don't think this year. You don't think off season this year because they have got. Oh, off season. Yeah, that's right. After I mean. the season. Off season. Yeah, yeah you're maybe, looking at maybe, an off season. Maybe that they've, they, they've, that they've got some stuff. They've got some tough decisions to make. No question. Uh, a couple more quick ones here. Dim is going to join us at one thirty. Uh, thoughts on Connor Murphy? As we uh, again, the the bottom uh, the bottom of the barrel teams in Chicago that might be selling or be willing to sell. He's got a year or two left. I don't think he's done. He's definitely not done. I don't think. Well, three, I should say three, definitely. Three yeah. years. So this year and two more, $4.4 million. Um, slightly, slightly front-loaded. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm a big Connor Murphy fan. Connor Murphy was so limited six, seven years ago, and then he added, like, real puck skills onto his game, sort of like the Nick Jensen glow up. Glow mm. up. You know, you sometimes do get that from um, defenders who come in and they're stay-at-home guys and – they're sort of disgusting and you watch them early in their career and you're like, well, this looks a little good Branson like, you know what I mean? And then sometimes they do manage to graft different levels of puck skills or show puck skills that they hadn't previously as their career emerges. Murphy for me is one of those guys. I I'm a big fan of the player. Also universally raved about as a guy. That's an interesting one. Brings the size like, He's in that sweet spot contract-wise where there's some cost certainty, but it's not like an onerous long-term deal, even yep. though he's 30, right? That makes it interesting. I think he does have a modified no trade, so there's always that to uh, to work around. But uh, yeah, right shot defenseman with size, 
leadership, all of those sorts of things. Contract, yeah, attractive contract. Contract is not yeah. bad. So that, that's an interesting. That's one. the type of deal, especially if the price is right. Where I, you know, I think that is, you know, that's that's the sort of deal where you could tell me, hey, like that helps the Canucks navigate Cole's expiry, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, as they work through the Pedersen raise, the Heronic, uh, the Heronic raise, and the um what's the other one the oal buyout cost sort of spiking here right like that this gives the team some breathing room for multiple years that that i could buy yeah uh that's the sort of deal i like a lot more than the Uyghur class or the or the sanheim class like really expensive guy that's gonna cause you to rip a hole in your lineup elsewhere i just want to do the travis package i just want to go bulk <laughs> buy travis's from you're, philly you're a big travis guy <laughs> big travis guy you got any of the minors you can throw in there guys though we just love we Let's also travis we also would like to acquire travis barker for a intermission show <laughs> and now we're talking <laughs> talking about an entertainment product let's go uh all right uh, that's enough uh fantasy land trades but thank you that was fun I enjoyed that. Friday's Fantasyland Trades. That was great. We should, we should do that every now and then. That yeah. was super fun. Thank you for texting in and participating. Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast, joins us next year. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So we've been talking a lot about PDO. Now we have Dimitri Filippo. The Mr. PDO. Well, there actually is a Mr. PDO, so... <laughs> like, like PDO is a guy, Brian King. Um, but we've got Dimitri, the next best thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the PDO cast host, a yeah. guy who knows this concept intimately, and I'm guessing prepared, knowing that regression was going to be a topic of conversation. Hold on, hold on. Before we get into that, I just want to point out. I laughed at you guys for picking, like, late November games for when the Sharks might oh, yeah. lose their first game. We were all too ambitious. <laughs> we should have been looking at the January schedule or something. Well, I've burned, burned through two of my three. Now I'm uh, November 24th, and it's like, I'm feeling good about that one. I did, a, I did a mailbag on my show, and I got a question today, and it was like, if the Sharks put their entire roster on waivers, how many of their players get claimed? And I think it might be none. Yeah. Like, even Thomas Hurdle, like, I don't know how many teams could f- just – I think the Blackhawks. Blackhawks probably do it, right? We'll pick them up. But it's it, the term is so long that I don't even know if they'd want to commit that much money for like Bedard's prime years five years from now. Like, Man, you're right. 2009, 2000. Oh. oh, that's brutal. That's not a good situation to be yeah. in. <laughs> that's not good at all. Anthony, Anthony declares expiring at three. I guess. I, I Chicago would do that one. Yeah, probably. So declare. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stump for declare here. <laughs> and Fabian Zetterland. Sure, I think I have. Uh, I think I have in the draft either the next two or three games. So, I don't like your odds of winning. <sighs> should, should I don't we, know. <laughs> should we draft Sharks players' likelihood of being claimed off waivers? <laughs> no. Is that what we're going to no, draft? We really, really should not um, do that. The Sharks are the worst team ever, right? Like, are, are we are we there yet? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I was one years old in ninety two, ninety three. 
during that season when like the expansion senators won 10 games in, in right. an 84 game regular season schedule and i think the sharks that year also won yep. 11 games so i don't really remember those teams very well um but yeah this is the worst one i think we've seen like what are the mo- modern comparables even for us it's that 1920 red wings team right before yeah, COVID. yeah. and it's the, the 48 point avalanche but that that yeah. team had like much like last year's ducks team which was one of the yes. worst historically there was, like, by goal share at least there's like players yeah. who are like these guys aren't just randoms who no one yeah. wants <laughs> which is apologies to this group of sharks players but i mean Ugh. last night's performance was just it was grizzly like it was they played all-star game quality defense in a real nhl game and they got what they deserved. Well, it's not it's not a proxy for an NHL product. Like this like there's no comparable yeah. to it. It's not you can't take anything from it. I you, it's good that the Canucks took care of business. Yeah. It, and but. it actually was like as my, I had a, a lot of fun watching it cuz it's too. Just so rare and it's yeah. so weird. I called it a spectacle. But there is some level where it's like if you're the NHL, as much as you want fans to be invested and enjoy crazy nights like that, it's like sharks, come on. Yeah. Like, hold up your hand to the bargain here and give us a competitive product on a nightly basis, which they're just not doing. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a peek behind the so curtain. This over is my over pro- the course of the season, though, really quick, the, at least this team was only like the, at least they controlled like thirty four percent. This Who is inaugural Shark, okay, Sharks right. team, at least they controlled thirty four percent of goal events. Mm. Uh, Senators look like they're you know actually slightly better, yep. closer to forty percent. Um, this Sharks team is being outscored, you know, uh, like twenty percent. What is it, forty four to ten so far? Yeah, forty four to ten. Oh, so I mean. Their, their percentage of all goals scored is abysmal. It's a sub-20%. So once the Canucks scored their fourth goal in the first period last night, I opened up my Twitter feed, and I I wrote out number of goals this season by the Sharks, <laughs> nine, number of goals oh by the God. Canucks tonight, 10. No. And I just waited until the 10th goal to press <laughs> tweet, which is why if you look at the time, I like posted it like – a second after the goal because <laughs> I was watching and You're I just, just sitting there with your finger on the tweet button. I just press post or share or whatever it is on X these days. It's not tweet anymore, but that's there, a- there was something about the vibe of that game though, where even as the Canucks were pouring yeah. it on, I was like, I don't feel like we're going to get those like time waster fourth line versus fourth line shifts where both teams, like where one team cycles for a minute, mm. doesn't generate a scoring chance and then changes. I was like, this is, this is going to keep snowballing. Like yeah. you, you could feel it. It was wild. I, I can't, I can't remember being as confident ever in watching a blowout that it was going to get worse. That there was no end in sight. No. Yeah. Uh, and there is no end in sight. What happened, the San Jose Sharks? What happened at the end there with on the goal the Sharks scored? Like the Talkit want to challenge that, but they no, just didn't no, want to. No, Talkit, Talkit made the decision, and you could. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I wish I had been in attendance because I would have had a better sense of it looking from 200 feet away. But I'm pretty sure he um, was looking down at Demko and was like, "Sorry, man." Like, well, not. Demko looked very Demko sad. Demko right after it. <laughs> he looked like, very sad. Drips was just like, "Always compete." He was like, "What?" <laughs> he hit my leg like, right after the goal. It was amazing. I'm pretty sure that would have been rule, uh, overruled too. Like, yes. I'm, I'm very confident that spiritually, that was a ten nothing Canucks victory. He looked like me playing against Chico Conquo last night in fantasy <laughs> and watching him rack up meaning meaningless yards at the end. I'm like, come on, is this necessary? The the the, the late red zone targets. That was that like, was Thatcher on. Demko's one goal against last night. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I like I think it probably would have been called back, but it's just like, I don't know, what are you gonna do? It's ten one. Yeah. Like who cares? Let's just get out of this. Let's yeah. leave and never think about this again. Until the next time they play the Sharks, uh, uh, which is not that far away. So I, I gotta ask this as Mr. Team Rebuild guy. Mm. Are the Sharks so horrendous that their vision of bottoming out 
should be challenged here. That like they've gone too far in doing the right thing. Yes, just in the sense that like, okay, let's take Will Smith, who's their best prospect, sure. for example, right? He's playing at Boston College, I mm-hmm. believe. BC, yeah. At the end of the season, like, is he gonna have a legitimate decision to make between like, mm. should I just stay in college? Like, what what's the point of going and playing on this team? It's embarrassing. And I don't expect it to be better by the end of the season. So, like, in that sense, you actually want to have a situation where a player like that would conceivably want to come play. And now it's, like, a dream to play in the NHL. He'll make more money, all that good stuff. But yeah. but do you want to be on the roster of the worst team ever, even I know, if uh, it's your NHL debut? Uh, I, I think you do. I still think you do. Macklin Celebrini, I know he's a junior shark, but, like, he's going to be, like, researching four-year degrees at BU at this point. <laughs> Should I do a master's just in case? Like, <laughs> like, I really, oh. really want to make sure you know, I avoid you know this what, situation. Though, you know what, though? Like the, the, there was a lot of this conversation in this market with Bedard, right? And and what I do think people underrate about super competitive no, no. people is they want to like, make it. I'll be the guy who turns it around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. that's, I think, part of the appeal. But you're right. I mean, I don't know. I, watching the Canucks, watching the Canucks stomp the Sharks, I was like, man, you know, Patience is good once you have the McTavish, Leo Carlson right. axis going, and it's like, hey, for your next 15 years are going to be a ton of fun. The one thing but I'll getting s- there is painful. The one thing I'll say is my concern, like with the Ducks last year, is that it was the environment was so bad, it was so awful, but there were guys you were counting on to be good on that team, and mm-hmm. that concerns me because, like, what what effect is it having on them long term? Right? Is it you know psychologically in terms of learning how to play the game, all of that. The thing with the Sharks is they don't have those guys. Yep. So it's like, you can be as bad as you want, and it might really bum these players out, but you're not counting on them to be anything. So like that's both bad and depressing that they don't have any of those players, but at least you're not risking their future. Although I think the Will Smith point you made is a good one. They, well. they also have so much dead money on their books with like retaining money on Carlson and yep. Burns and Martin Jones buyout and like Mark Edward Vlasic making $7 million or whatever for the next couple of years, that even if they wanted to put together a competitive lineup right now, it would be just be like difficult to do so. Yeah. So for them, I, I imagine the plan is just be as aggressively bad as you can for two more years. Yeah. Hopefully get the first overall pick or second overall pick in those two years, get foundational players, and then start adding up and just don't have any bad money in the books when that happens. To me, it's almost like – it's almost not even tanking. It's just like there's – because tanking implies – you have a choice. This is almost just like, it's what we have to do. There's yeah. no, it's not like we're like, okay, we're going to tear down and be really bad. It's like, we're going to be really bad. And that's all there is to it. And we'll just have to try to come out uh, on the other side. Um, we were talking about you being Mr. PDO mm. or the next best thing <laughs> no. to Mr. PDO. That's a word. It's been a buzzword on the show yeah. well, the, this week. And it has to be like, it has to be the Canucks up to a 108.4 PDO. That's wildly hot, right? How hot is it? So hot. I think you're taking it the wrong way here. See, if you want to be correct, you should say, I think they're going to do it because they have two more games against the Sharks coming up here over the next month. They might. So just ride that wave and just build it up and then sell after those games. Because <laughs> you don't want to look wrong for the next month because you know that PDO is going to keep rising. Like, No, I don't think it'll keep rising. I, I really I, think in these Sharks games. Well, I mean, the Sharks games are, are going to twist it, but they also have dallas they also right. have they yeah. have real teams coming up too and 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 1084 is so high like they played the predators the other night and they beat them 4-2 and like two of those goals 5-2 excuse me 5-2 and two of those goals like the the lafferty one and the jt miller jam play on the power play uh were like fortunate bounces but only one was five on five the two four on four goals a six on five goal and a power play goal and their pdo actually went down 10 points 
even as I'm watching these games and I'm like, man, it feels like they are getting nearly every bounce. Yeah, what are they at? 16% right now as a team? And 16% The Oilers shooting. at like 11 last year. 11. Led the league. Led the league yeah. And then they're at 928 save percentage. And yeah. other than, I guess, last year's like historically great Bruins. Yeah. Goal, goal ending situation, it's generally around 915 if you're going to be like the fourth best really good. team yeah. save percentage. And so those are significant. So you're basically bringing up the goals against, bringing down the goals for. Now, even if you regress that, there's still like seventh or something yeah, in goal well, share, I, which is really good. I, I mean, I was looking at it too. If you exclude the blowout victory over Edmonton, the second game against Edmonton where they got absolutely buried, mm-hmm. and the game last night, 102 PDO, which is yeah. still high. Well, it's, it is interesting. It's like, I don't know how much it would affect their record. It would affect their goal differential right. a lot. Yeah. But because you could knock off, you could make, you know, the 8-1 and the 10-1 both a lot closer and still come away with two points. But if we're also removing those from the sure. sample, that's sure. 4-2-1. and one, And I don't think we'd be saying, wow, this is really overheated at 4-2-1, and one, 102 PDO. Yeah. It'd be like, okay, they, you know, they've been a little bit fortunate, but whatever. I do think it's important, though, to spell out that, like, it's... It, Saying that the PDO is high doesn't mean they should be like below 500. No, because no, they've no. had such a cushion in yes. some of these games. You know what I well, mean? Where the percentages could twist and they'd still come away. With I, I think it's two different discussions because when you're rolling like this and you lead the NHL in goal differential and not by a little bit, by like five, and you're seven, two, and one, these are elite results. Like if we buy these results, we think this is an elite cup contending team. Mm. And I don't hear a lot of people making that argument yet, right? No. So what would the actual cost be to this team, goal differential-wise or, or record-wise, if they were, you know, like less lucky to this point? I mean, it depends on how far you regress it. Even if you give them the benefit of doubt of being, like, first in shooting percentage and third in save percentage, yeah. according to last year's highs, for example, it would uh, I think it would be, like, seventh right. in goal differential, which... Still good. At the start of the year, if you were like, the Canucks are going to be top 10 in goal share, that would be a no doubt about it. Give me that 10 out of 10 times <laughs> yeah. twice on Sunday, right? Like, So I think that kind of perspective is important where it's like when the percentages are this high, you don't necessarily want to just fully buy in and be like, this is <clears> going to continue forever because once it dries up, it can swing really quickly. But there's still enough stuff that maybe we underrated heading into the season. Most importantly, like a healthy and fresh Demko and then Hughes and Pedersen just playing just being at their absolute prime ridiculous. apex level, like that's going to bring up your baseline probably higher than I can only speak for myself that I probably accounted for heading into the season. Well, I think that's a huge part of it for me is like, are we witnessing simultaneous career years from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen? We, you, you might've been able to say that last year. I thought that might've been the case. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing because they were phenomenal last year. I almost didn't want to get greedy, hoping for more from them. You know what I mean? Yep. But they're so good. Look, I'm not saying they're going to hit their their rates, what they're at now. And, you know, Patterson would be like 150 points and Hughes 120 or whatever. I don't think they're going to do that. But I do think it's possible that they both have career years this year, right? And, like, that changes the baseline, I think, for the Canucks a lot. Well, and, and to what extent does it? Like, what what are you seeing from the Canucks that you're buying and, and what are you seeing from the Canucks that you would identify as being overheated? I mean, it's just difficult to say until we see them. Like, I, I'm really excited to watch that Stars game. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because it feels like, I guess, and to their credit, like, they took care of business against the Oilers. You would have thought heading into the year that would be a, tough a challenging yeah. test. And they smoked them in the opener, and then they win the second game in Edmonton. So kudos to them for that. But just seeing them in that type of an environment against 
a team like the Stars will be interesting because they just play an entirely different way to anything they've really experienced yet, right? And so they're amongst that elite of the West. So all of a sudden, if you put another performance like that up against them, not a 10 to 1, but yeah, yeah, like a, a strong a strong one where your best players look like the best players on the ice when Rupe Hintz and Jason Robinson are Dallas out there. is fourth and six on the road. So it is worth putting some context on it. Hey, you can only you can only play, play the, the games ones that no, I'm, I'm not going to I would love to see the Canucks play well. I'm yeah. not, I'm just saying even if you beat the Stars, yes. I do think we still need to I still am going to need to see more. We need but more we right. need more games in yeah. general. But yes. for the Stars specifically, how high are on the Stars are you this year, Dimitri? I'm pretty high cuz a lot of the stuff that I wanted to see that I didn't really like towards the end of last year that I'm seeing from them right now is Better usage, right? They've toned down Ryan Suter's minutes. They're playing Thomas Harley more. They're using Neil Dunquist on a second unit power play, um, and so they're they're like pretty much bringing the team they had last year, which was what yep. a game or two away from representing the West in the Stanley Cup final. And I think they're a legitimate contender. So yeah, they definitely shouldn't play Jake Ottinger as much as they did last year. So hopefully mm. they toned down his usage. And we saw Scott Wedgwood play really well in Edmonton last night. So that's kind of the one thing I'm watching for from them this regular season, but otherwise they hit all the checkpoints of a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, looking ahead on the Canucks schedule, they get the Oilers again mm. next I don't think week. we need to preview that one. I think we're kind of aware. We are, of but just like on right. a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you? I feel like this is the third straight week you've asked me that, and it's been es- <laughs> it's been escalating. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it I think all I was a 1 at the I'm first time. I'm tracking it all to yeah. chart it. Yeah, 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 Line yeah. goes yeah. up for yeah. concern about the Oilers. Yeah, the stock is going up. Um... I'm worried just because so much has been made of this new defensive zone structure that they're using, right? The Vegas model yep. of the box and one zone scheme, whatever. And the bigger issue is they're just getting absolutely blown out of the water off the rush. Mm. And that wasn't something they really struggled with last year. Um, and now all of a sudden, I believe they're getting outscored 18 to five or something off the rush this season. And so against some of the top teams that have a lot of speed, like at Dallas did last night against them, it's just unacceptable. And so if that's going to continue and there's no reason to believe it won't based on what we've seen so far, then yeah, they're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Uh, other opponent for the Canucks next week, they go east to play the Ottawa Senators. Mm. What is, I won't ask you to talk about Ottawa off the ice. Yeah, no drama that's there, fun. right? Yes. <laughs> but what's holding Ottawa back from taking that next step that uh, we're constantly waiting for them to be taking? I mean, you like the young talent there and especially the contracts they've signed them to, right? Like, for a while, the big issue for them was all these young, all this homegrown talent is leaving. We don't want to pay them or they don't want to stay. You know, the Carlson, mm-hmm. Mark Stone, Mika Zibanejad, you go on down the line. Now they've got all these guys in Stutzla, Sanders, and Kachuk signed. I don't think they have the right coach for those players. Like DJ Smith okay. is kind of billed as this defensive coach. He has them playing a dump and chase style. And when you have the personnel they do, I'd much rather they just play a back and forth track meet and try to outscore you and outskate you. And they don't really play that way. Uh, their defensive met- metrics are really horrible this season, so I wouldn't expect that to be a game where the Canucks shooting percentage regresses because <laughs> they've been giving up quite a bit of goals themselves. So yeah, that'll be a that'll be a fun one to watch. There's going to be a lot of skater talent in that game in particular. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, there's uh, tons of exciting players uh, in that one. Um, Drancer, do you have any more? Should we uh, should we draft something here? We should draft something. All right. What do you want to draft? Sharks waiver claims? <laughs> no, I, I I'm vetoing that. Um. Why don't we draft? I, I know I, I know we've done this before, but let's draft. We did it right away, like we did it in the first week of the season. Let's do it again now that we're at like ten game mark, like okay. a nice ten game mark. Okay, which is let's buy starts that are real and starts that will fade. Yeah, 
And it can be either way. So you, right. can, you can take the Oilers to improve. You can take the Habs to not continue to be great on and on. Are the Habs great right now? So are we well, drafting 12 points in 10 Wait, hold on, hold on. Are we drafting ones that will fade or ones that will stick? Oh, see, oh, I think see, we went through this last time and we yeah, had we no did. clarity. I think you can fade. I think you can draft either. Okay. You just have to be right. Right. So you're saying there's I no see, rules. I see there is no The only rule is there <laughs> are no just rules. Just drafting teams. Dra- <laughs> draft a pizza for all I care. Just say just whatever. Make a pick based on your own when, criteria. When, when it comes to your no, turn, no. say something in the This is like Celebrity Jeopardy. No one's like, actually recording Just write this. down a number. Yeah, no one's recording this. No one's keeping track. I mean. uh, the only thing you're not drafting is a team that's like started good and will stay good. The, so, so a like team you're that not... you think is perfectly on brand. Yeah, and it right. will be this, we'll, we'll finish with this points percentage. Buy high or buy low, but do not buy normal. Okay. okay. That's the that's the purpose of the draft. <laughs> All right. I love, I always have these Wait, but so a good, team, a good team playing really well is ineligible. Is ineligible, that's ineligible, not, ineligible like, for isn't this that, draft. Isn't that the definition of buying high? Okay, so buy low or sell high. Sell high. Buy, buy low, buy sell, low high. sell high draft. Okay. okay. Got it. I'm going to let you start, Trans. <laughs> Probably the right call. You've earned it. I'll, I'll take the Montreal Canadiens. I'm going to draft the Montreal Canadiens. They have 12 points in their first 10 games, playing really well. Uh, they are going to be in last place in the Atlantic Division after 82 games. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of doubt about it, so I'm That's picking a, the Montreal Canadiens. It's a Canadians. sell high. That's a sell yeah, high. okay. I like it. Can I sell the sharks having one point in 10 games i think that's yes. high for them I, I i think i think zero i'm expecting zero points from their next 10 games <laughs> oh my goodness are you really that's no like, no no that's it's an incredible uh, nope. pick the, I, it's probably going to be the most correct one um but no that's no you can take it I, I don't mind it it's within the rules <laughs> until we arbitrarily change them yeah, you know what? I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, I'm like going to stick with That's it. That's fantastic. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. I wouldn't have thought about it, but it's it's a good call. Uh, I am going to buy low on the Carolina Hurricanes with a minus one goal differential currently. Mm. I know. Sorry, Dim. I know you hate the the Hurricanes, but uh, they'll figure it out. They'll be really good. They'll have a you know a hundred points. They're not going to be a, a slightly above five hundred point team for the rest of the season. So I will buy low on the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'm going to sell, I don't know if I would call it selling high, but selling relative because they're not even doing that well. But they have seven points in eight games. I'm going to sell on the St. Louis Blues. I think they have a chance to be really bad. One of the worst teams in the Western Conference. And again, right around that 500 mark right now. But I could easily see them down like 70 points, something like that, to end the year. So I'll uh, I'll buy the Hurricanes and sell on the St. Louis Blues. Nice. I like that. Okay, I'll buy low on the Pittsburgh Penguins who are currently... In last place in the Metro Division, I believe second last in the Eastern Conference as a whole. They're three and six, and all their underlying metrics look like a team that's significantly better than that, particularly in the power play where they haven't really scored any goals despite having Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Gensel, so on and so forth. So I expect them to produce better than that, and I'm buying low on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm in a snake spot, right? So I get two? Yep. Yes. I'm buying low on the Carolina Hurricanes. We, I just did geez. that. Oh. I'm sorry. I was so excited for this pick. What are you so going to tell me next? You're going to get Turducken as well? No, I'm going to pick the Pittsburgh Penguins next. No. Um. Okay. I will buy. Oh my god. Turducken. <laughs> I definitely don't want to buy on the Flames. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. No. no. I guess. I'll... I mean, Oilers. Come on. The, the Oilers two, aren't six on there. And, two six and one minus yeah. fifteen goal differential. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I'll buy. I'll buy the Oilers. So I'll buy the Oilers here. Thank you for the help. I needed it. And um. 
I will sell high on the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. They're they're going to be very much in the lottery mix, but have started out as a roughly 500 team. All right. I'll buy low on the Buffalo Sabres as well. Yeah, I like uh, that. They're 5-5. Five and five. They've been playing better of late. Um, they're looking a lot better defensively. I expect the offense to continue turning around. Paige Thompson's going to keep scoring a lot of goals. And so um, I like them to rise up the standings and be a legitimate threat in that Atlantic division. Uh, th- this is a layup unless somebody's already said it and I just missed it. But I'm going to sell high on the Boston Bruins. Uh yeah. 19 points. Like, it's it's not that they won't be good, but they're on another, like, ridiculous historic start to the season. They're not going to keep that up. True. They're they're, they're going to be, like, a fine team. But the Golden Knights aren't going to be 10-0-1. Yeah, but I like the I Golden Knights more than the <laughs> Bruins. So I'm not yeah, going to pick them. That's fair. I'm going to sell high uh, on the Boston Bruins. Uh, somebody texted in, I'm buying low on this segment achieving coherence anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Signed, Felix Lapu bell Pretty fair. Uh, good pick. Good pick yeah, up very, by very Felix. Smart That's a steal of the draft. Purchase. The steal of the draft <laughs> by Felix. But we made it through. We all said something. Drant said an ineligible thing, but yeah. we got back on course. Uh, that's that's on brand, though. Yes. We did it. Um, it by, somebody says, if nobody buys or sells the Canucks, does that mean that 120 points is their true value? No, it means uh, we're cowards. I can't believe the, I can't believe Drant didn't sell the Canucks. I mean, I thought that's why he was teeing up that segment. Oh, no, I'm 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 taking a break from selling the Canucks. I'll, I I want to see more. I want to see more. You're hold. You're in a holding position. Yeah, but I mean, they are a good sell high because right now they look elite. And I think you can easily sell high and be like, but I think they're but a playoff they're good. team. Yeah. Uh, we will we will uh, wrap it up there. Enjoy the game on the weekend. We are going to be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Uh, thanks for listening. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.